Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated staff writer Rohan Nadgarni, a.k.a. my guardian angel for his work with brother herring on last week's episode while i was on the road reporting a story thank you so much rohan uh that was tremendous tremendous stuff thank you that was a lot of fun uh you know we got some good reviews on twitter always happy to fill in sit in uh in the host chair you know i'm glad that we got herring now that he's blowing up now that he's sitting courtside with spike lee it would appear i was that actually him (laughs) <laughs> I, as I said in the group text chat, uh, either him or Dame Dash. I, I couldn't tell <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which one. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that we could book Herring right before he blows up, uh, becomes too famous to do this little podcast. So, no, we had a great mm-hmm. time. Thank you for letting me sit uh, in the host chair anytime, man. Beautiful. Uh, so on today's episode, you and I will be taking a close look at a few uh I'm calling them one superstar pseudo contenders, and we're going to discuss which one is most likely to actually win the NBA title because it feels like the NBA title is kind of up for grabs this season. Um, We also have a couple LeBron-related emails and some goodies in the mailbag. Speaking of, a quick reminder to please keep your emails coming. They've been terrific. Openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Okay, Rohan. So I want to start today's show with some significant NBA news that came over the weekend. The NBA's leading scorer, Kevin Durant, sprained his MCL and is expected to miss four to six weeks of action. 
Rohan, how concerned should the Nets be here as it relates to them winning the NBA championship? Pretty minimally, I'd say, as it relates to them winning the NBA championship, only because we saw what they were able to do, frankly, last season with Kevin Durant, James Harden on one hamstring and no Kyrie Irving, uh, about a toenail away, about a from potentially making the conference finals and realistically making the finals, they're beating that Hawks team. So I, I'm not too worried. I, the fact that it happened now is in some ways a blessing in disguise. It gives KD plenty of time, I think, to get healthy before the playoffs. Last year we saw him have an injury before the playoffs. He got healthy in time for the postseason. I think it'll be fine. Maybe they take a hit in the standings. The top of the East is competitive. Then again, maybe it behooves them to be playing as many road games as possible in the playoffs because of the ridiculousness of their situation. So I think in terms of their championship odds, I don't really know that it takes a hit from where it was before he got injured. I do think this just kind of speaks to the Nets experience in general, which is the stars seem to barely be able to get on the court with each other. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, I hate using the word fragile, but we do have to understand that, you know, Kyrie Irving has a history injury. Kevin Durant obviously has a little bit of an injury history now. So, you know, I, I think that from a macro sense, that's kind of the the thing you have to consider with the Nets is they've, they've not really proven in the three years technically since KD's been there that they can all get healthy at the same time. Right, and KD was fifth in minutes, averaging 36.5 per game before he went down. On the bright side... You know, something like this allows for uh, uh, players like Cam Thomas and just the younger guys in in Brooklyn to get more shots, get more touches, uh, acclimate with Kyrie. Um, And I'm just I'm kind of grasping for straws. I, I generally don't think that this is a catastrophe either like right now the nets just to give a, an overview of their situation they rank third in the eastern conference they're half a game out of first place they're also only three and a half games ahead of the seventh seed and five and a half games up on the 11th seeded knicks i don't think they're going to drop all the way out of everything um they have only maybe it only isn't the right way to describe it but they have 18 games over the next six weeks and 12 of them are on the road. One is at MSG. So I guess like for the purpose of what we're talking about here uh, with Kyrie, 11 are, are on the road. Um, but they're also four and three without KD this season. They've outscored opponents by four and a half points per 100 possessions with KD on the court and been outscored by 1.2 points per 100 possessions when he sits. I don't like, I don't like, I don't know. Like I, this team could have had a one seed, I think, if KD were to stay healthy. They could have developed a little bit more chemistry with Kyrie and Harden and all those. There's like a lot of new pieces that are trying to that will have to be integrated at some point with those three like superstars in a playoff setting. And they're just not going to have like it's going to feel like the preseason in a sense of just in terms of their chemistry. And I think that that is problematic for sure, but Maybe I mean you're right. Like at the end of the day, they're so talented that like what they did to the Bulls as an example on national TV last week. Like when those three have it going, uh, especially KD. As long as KD's healthy in a playoff series, I, I think like maybe chemistry and continuity and all this stuff. Like maybe it just doesn't matter at all. 
I mean, I wrote about this last season, but they are, and I hate to say this because those guys are talented and obviously they are fun to watch when they play together, but there was going to be no coming back for the NBA if they won the title last year. You guys, they they played, what, eight games together last year? I think the number was, I think they played less than 200 minutes together last year before the postseason. It would have just absolutely, I think, eviscerated the concept of the regular season if you can have you know, truly almost just roll out guys for the playoffs and win. Um, can I ask you a question that's going to put you on the spot? And it's just a deeply, deeply difficult question to answer. <laughs> sure. How do you feel about, it feels like almost every night since he's got back, there's been a vaccine question asked to Kyrie Irving during his post-game press conference. Um, I believe it's Nick Friedel, uh from ESPN who's doing a lot of the questions, and I, I think they are good questions. I think he's asking them in good faith. But I, I, at what point do we just accept that – something that I think becomes strange to me about the Kyrie situation is he's not the only unvaccinated player in the NBA, but he is getting asked about it almost every time he's put in front of the microphone. I don't know. It, it's just – it's just to me uh, – I'm just curious what, what your take on the situation is at this point in the, in the saga? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I think that, uh, I think that normalizing his situation is not great. Mm. So if we just don't acknowledge it, um, for a period of time, don't mention it on broadcasts, don't mention it in post game press conferences, don't continuously put him on the spot and force him to, um, like reckon, with the situation that he's putting his team in, particularly with Durant out, they're lucky that he's only going to be out four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would have happened if this was a a longer, more serious injury? And then I think that you could have started asking yourself, okay, this team might just miss the playoffs. This team might be a 10 seed. This, this team might be in a situation that the Lakers were in last year, and we saw what happened with them. And so he ultimately has this responsibility to his, his to his team and to his teammates. And so I think it's always relevant and should always be asked. And yeah, he's in a situation where the city that he that he plays in and that he lives in has this vaccine mandate that, yeah, there are other players who do not um, uh, do not fall victim to the same circumstance who are unvaccinated for sure. Like the Boston Celtics are an example. There are players in the Celtics who are unvaccinated and they're exempt from the city's Boston as a city, their their mandate, which takes effect or I believe took effect January 15th. So they don't have to worry about the vaccine mandate and Kyrie does. But also you should just get the vaccine. So I don't feel like I don't feel bad for Kyrie at all in this situation. He should just get the vaccine. Everyone should get the vaccine. So I guess that's like a kind of a long-winded mm-hmm. way to answer that. But I, I I don't fault Nick for asking those questions. I think they should continuously be um, kept up and other reporters should do it as well because it's an important issue for the team and it's an important issue for society and he should have to answer for it as many times as he's asked about it. No, I think you bring up great points. Uh, yeah, I'm just – I'm interested where people are at with that story these days. Like I said, I think Nick's asking those questions in good faith, and they're good questions. Like you said, it's, it's very pertinent to their team situation, especially with Durant out. Uh, it just is 
man, it's really been as exhausting as I thought it would be. I got to say it's, uh, it's just such a ridiculous situation. I don't even know. I, I'm at a loss for words for it, but it's, especially now that Durant is hurt, like the, the, the worst case scenario of kind of this whole situation is playing out. So it, it seems like Harden, I reading between the tea leaves a little bit, seems a little bit more frustrated. I mean, it's impossible to know and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm sure a lot of his teammates are hoping that he, he'll finally get the shot now, now, now more than ever. I, I mean, Harden's frustration is we don't have to derail the entire podcast, but Harden, you know, there was a report about Daryl Morey and the Philadelphia 76ers wanting to hold on to Ben Simmons for this unlikely sign and trade in the offseason, um, assuming that Harden was unhappy with his situation in Brooklyn. And it's been kind of like a nightmare season for him. Like, not a nightmare, but like not what he envisioned when he Mm -hmm. was like, okay, these are my two teams, the Nets and the Sixers, that I want to go to to win an NBA championship. I don't think he ever thought that he would be on the floor with, you know, I keep saying Cam Thomas. He's just the, the rookie who pops into my head. But like guys who were not in the NBA when he was yeah. traded to Brooklyn are now getting significant minutes beside him. He did not envision that. So yeah, like, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, the weather in New York cause I'm moving shortly and staying in New York in Brooklyn. And you made fun of me <laughs> because it's cold here and Harden uh, tweeted it's the other brick. day that it is, it, it is brick in New York city. And it was, it was brick. It was very cold. Um, and I know Philadelphia is not Miami, Florida, but <laughs> like who knows how? I mean, he's not from the Northeast, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know his situation and his happiness level. And I'm sure it's very frustrating being Kyrie's teammate right now. No doubt. So you're saying a hard into the Sixers this summer. You're reporting that? I'm not, but that's not <laughs> like a – that would not stun me. That would all. not like stun I, me. I mean, the fact that he didn't sign that extension – was I mean to me pretty telling. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some financial stuff there that you know he can make a substantially a larger amount of money if he if he holds out. So there's that to to factor in. Um, but no, I, I I see your point also that he could have put all conversation to bed and all speculation to bed, and he he chose not to. Um, do you have anything else to say about the Nets? I'm already you used the word exhausted earlier. We've used that word so many times talking about this team. Are you ready to move on? Um, uh, can I say something about the Bulls? You mentioned the Nets blowing out the Bulls. Can I say something about the Bulls real quick? Sure. Who on their team? Like, you know, I wrote the I wrote our power rankings this week, and I, you know, I wrote is this team a buyer, seller, something in between? Herring and I talked about this in the last pod. The Bulls kind of need to be all in. They're first place in the East. How can you not go for it? They don't have a ton of flexibility to make a trade. At the same time, like, what are they going? What is their plan for the playoffs in terms of defending Giannis, uh, Kevin Durant, etc.? Like, they don't have a four. Like, they're playing Alonzo McKinney right there right now. I, I don't know what they're going to do at that position, and I, I just, I don't know. That worries me about the Bulls. And obviously, they've been missing Caruso, who's a great defender, who's going to help their defense, but it really feels like they need some more size. I'm just curious if you, at any point you've started to run through any trade hypotheticals, et cetera. I just don't know who's out there for them. That's realistic for them to acquire, but it feels like they really need help with that position. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, first of all, 
nobody has any answers for Giannis and KD. So. It's not about having an answer as much as literally having a, a, a sizable body to at least throw at them credibly. Mm-hmm. No, I get it. Uh, I mean, I think that they're hoping that Patrick Williams, who just took off his, I know he, there was a report last uh. week that he took off his cast and his wrist, the injury that kind of his, he's been out with the entire season and dealing with. So hopefully he'll be back. I would assume he'll be back by the playoffs. Um, so maybe that's your answer. That's a, that's a beefy wing who can be in single coverage. You would hope against a KD or a Giannis and you know, they'll, they, they scramble, they double. That's how they've been Mm -hmm. playing all season. So like, yeah, but then also the fatal flaw with this team coming into the season, that's, this is what we thought. So, you know, like. Should they trade for a Jeremy Grant or a Harrison Barnes? I don't think that that necessarily makes you like. I don't know how much that honestly moves the needle for you as a as a contender, mm. and then then you won't have Patrick Williams because he'd probably have to be involved in that trade. And I'd rather just hold on to Patrick Williams and like play for next year. <laughs> honestly, I, like I don't know. I I I don't think like. I don't think that a major upgrade needs to happen for Chicago and they need to panic and try to win right now, I guess is what I'm trying to say with that. Okay, okay. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of, I guess, the the postseason and... Um, just the the fluidness of this situ- of of this of everything that's happening right now with who's a contender, who's not a contender, who's in, who's out at the top of the league. I'll tell you who's tanking. It's uh, Shelby's Portland Trailblazers. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get to a, a, a question about the Blazers um, later on. But yes, they are they will not be in this discussion. Uh, I wanted to talk. I, I teased this at the top, but I wanted to talk about uh, four teams. And maybe there's others that I was not, I'm not thinking of. But there's four teams in my mind that have one true superstar on their roster, um, and like they feel pseudo contendery. Like they feel like they could get hot. Um, they feel like they could make get hot at the right time. They feel like they could make the right trade at the trade deadline that kind of pushes them over the top and changes how they're. Um, how they're built and able to perform in the postseason, and these four teams, I want to, I want to go through them and I want to rank them with you in order of just their likelihood to actually win the title. And the four teams are the Memphis Grizzlies with John Morant, the Dallas Mavericks with Luka Doncic, the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid, 
and the Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic. So let's like kind of work through this. I want you to tell me, um, I told you beforehand in our outline to rank them from least to most likely to actually win the title. But before we do that, could you, are, if any of these four teams won the title, would you just be like flabbergasted? Do you think this exercise is dumb? Like, <laughs> what, just, what are your thoughts here? On I mean, no, because I think there are, def- there are two teams on here that have a legitimate chance at winning the title this season even. Um, two others I'm less confident in, but... okay. There are two that I think are either a move away, um, an injury return away, uh, a superstar run away from winning. So there are two that I I feel like could really do it this year. Two others that eh, not so much. Give me give me your the one that's just let's start with four, just least likely to actually win the championship. I think it's the Grizzlies. Wow, I was not expecting you to say that, and I am in agreement with you. There we go. There we go. I'm a firm believer in like a team needs to take its lumps in the in the postseason, or at least have individuals who have taken their lumps in the postseason. And uh-huh. I, I think the Grizzlies last year that was just kind of like a gravy icing on the cake first round uh, appearance they had against the Jazz. Now that they've kind of taken this next step, the next step in their evolution is to have that six-game second-round series that's not easy, uh, something along those lines. Frankly, it's going to be hard for them to make the second round again this year, uh, especially because of you know another team on this list that might get healthy or the Lakers getting hot at the right time, et cetera. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the Lakers later on the show. But I, they've been great, and they've been really good. They're, they're kind of a weird, you know, bizarro version of the Bulls happening in the West Coast. This team kind of unexpectedly – taking the league by storm they've been great i just don't think they've been title great yeah so i i agree they're the my they're my number four it would it would not stun me if they reach the conference finals although i'm not expecting that but to actually you know win the championship i just i can't i can't get there because they're the fourth youngest team, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Like you need experience. They're the fourth youngest team in the entire NBA right now. The three teams that are younger than them, I believe. I'm gonna I'm going off the top of my head here, but I believe they're the Magic, the Thunder, and the Rockets. I think, but th- they're three really bad yeah. teams that are basically at the bottom right now. Is the, the moral of the story. And look, you have John Moran, who's made this transcendent leap, third-year leap. He's a legitimate first-team All-NBA candidate. He's going. He could start in the All-Star game after never making the All-Star game, um, in his not making it in his first two years. He's an MVP candidate. He's everything that the Grizzlies could have ever hoped he would be when they drafted him. Uh, and there's been other leaps taken. Desmond Bain is awesome. Um, Deadeye Sniper, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. has made this jump on the defensive end where, you know, he's playing the five. Um, Just erasing really well. shots at the rim. Yeah, he's turning into a great shot blocker. Yeah. He's second in blocks right now in the league and could surpass Miles Turner, who we just learned before we started recording this, is going to be out for a little while with a stress fracture. So, Jaron Jackson Jr., one of the games elite shot blockers now and he moves his feet on the perimeter he you know they don't switch a ton or anything like that but 
when they need to, he can do it. And, you know, there's like, uh, even just like Zaire Williams. Yeah. That, like they, fif- he's like 15 years old and he's I, like yeah. not locking up, I, not locking I, up I, Steph Curry, but like playing great. I tweeted this, I tweeted this yesterday and I genuinely mean it. Every Memphis Grizzlies, a hooper. They just got a team full of hoopers. <laughs> Everyone plays basketball. You know what I mean? Everyone's just, no. everyone's just hooping, man. No, they're they're a special group. Uh, they're Desmond Bain said that um, when he goes back, when they had a conversation in the locker room after their win against the Timberwolves um, last week, and uh, in the locker room, the coaching staff was like, "This group right here, like after you're retired, you're never going to have a group like this. like you'll look back on this team." And what's happening right now so fondly because this is so rare. And yeah. I think that their winning streak was super rare. And I think that once you get to the playoffs, the fact that they don't really shoot a lot of threes, all these different things that really matter when mm-hmm. you're when you're able to just game plan against a team will really hurt them. So like I don't like I don't think they're gonna beat they can beat the Jazz. I don't think they can I would beat be the shocked if they you mentioned that you wouldn't be you'd be you wouldn't be very surprised if they made the conference finals. I think I'd be pretty shocked if they made the conference finals. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I'd like to see who they're playing, but I mean, just because it means uh, one of Phoenix or Utah is not going to be in it, one of Phoenix, Utah, or Golden State is not going to be in it, or two of them. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, you know, like I could. I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I could see them. I could. See, I, I have so much respect for Ja that he could. Uh, just completely take over and obliterate a mm. defense and they have no question for him and his three balls falling and everything's just clicking for them. And then, you know, um, their opponent, whoever they're playing gets whatever, like Steph Curry has three off shooting nights in a, in a row. And I just, I, I so like, I, I wouldn't be stunned, but going and winning four in a row, that's a different conversation for me. Um, okay. So who was the third team for you? Dallas. Okay, we we disagree here a little bit. What? Tell me why tell me why you have no confidence in the Dallas Mavericks to win the championship. I listen, and I know their defense has improved. Luca is Luca. I just look at a team that's that's largely unchanged from where it's been the last couple of years, and like they've made some moves. I mean, they picked up Reggie Bullock and you know, I think Chris Stapps has been better this season, but even though he's missed a bunch of time lately. I, again, the the top of the West is loaded, man. Like Phoenix, Utah, and Golden State. I know Utah's taking a dip defensively, and their perimeter defense is a concern. You know, Gobert's been out, so that that accounts for a lot of their dip in defensive rating. I just the idea that Dallas is going to supplant two of Phoenix, Golden State, and Utah in the conference finals alone is just. I, I just don't see that happening. As as hot as Luca can get, I that's what it comes down to. Is just that that, that those top three I think are such a. I, I don't see how they beat one of those teams in a series. That's what it comes down to, and they're going to have to beat one of them to make a conference final. Well, I I think that they can beat those teams in a seven game series because I. Like, I love their recipe this year, and I don't want to step too much on something I'm writing uh, for later this week, but, like, their defense right now ranks fourth 
in the entire NBA. Uh, but are you, and, I feel like we've just seen a lot of defenses sliding up and down this year. And I'm not saying they mm-hmm. haven't improved on that end, but are you confident in it? Yes, I am confident in it. I look at where they were last year with, you know, Maxi Kleber being hurt, Chris Stapps Porzingis being a shell of himself, Jalen Brunson just not really showing up in the playoffs and not uh, 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 not being effective in that first round series. Um, I think that we should give credit to Jason Kidd, who has switched some things around on the mm-hmm. defensive end for them. I think that playing Chris Stapps Porzingis at the four. Um, a vast majority of the time as opposed to letting him be at the five has really helped him and helped the team on defense. I think Luca is bringing it on defense way more than he ever has before in his career. And like credit, not to take anything away from Rick Carlisle, but there's just more balance to this team right now. And like, I don't look at it as, okay, they only added Reggie Bullock and they only added Sterling Brown. I think Reggie Bullock's been really helpful, but like also, like, look, like Josh Green's giving them really good minutes. I don't think necessarily Josh Green's going to be the be all end all in the playoffs, but like Dorian Finney Smith has played tremendous basketball. He's hitting threes. He's one of the better. Love Dorian Finney Smith. Yeah. So I think like one of their Achilles heels in the past has been, you know, their inability to go small. I think they're built to go small. I think at the trade deadline, um, you know, I have a question for you later about which team do you want to see make a trade? going forward and I won't say exactly who the player is or maybe I just will right now but they have a trade exception that's 10.8 million dollars from the Josh Richardson deal and you know getting someone like uh Larry Nance Jr adding him to this team like I just I just think that there's uh, you add like the the just like the magic of Luka on offense to okay if everybody buys in fits their roles everybody's comfortable in the defensive system they're able to get stops like that could be the second star that they don't have and if Brunson plays as well as he has instead of being a no-show in the playoffs as he was last year if he's that guy in a contract year then yeah I could totally see this team making a run because defense was the big question for me Mm -hmm. honestly for the past two years uh I'm just asking this out of curiosity uh, who do you like closing for them in a playoff series? I mean, I'm just genuinely curious who you who you'd want. I don't. I'm not leading you. Like anywhere. as a as a like closing who, five or yeah, as, who's their closing five for you? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. Well, just because uh, they have a bunch of pieces, right? Because I I think I'd want Brunson and Finney Smith on the court. Yes, but that means you're probably putting. That means you're probably parking Tim Hardaway on the bench. I'm fine with that personally, yeah. I think. Um, I mean, the question of, okay, so Luca's obviously the third guy. Yeah. I, look, I I think healthy Maxi Kleber. Chris Stapps. So it's Chris Stapps, Kleber, DFS, Luca. It, it, does, it doesn't sound like a bad, it's just interesting, right? It's just interesting. They're just one of those teams that's like every five-man lineup you create, you're like, oh, but I would like this person's, you know. No, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. They're an interesting you. team. They're an interesting team. Don't get me wrong. It, I don't think they're like bad or anything like that. I just think that they are. There's some things I think they still need to work out, like who their best five are. What's who are the best fits around Luca, etc. Um, it would certainly shock me way less than the Grizzlies for them to make it to the conference finals or the finals. Um, they have an interesting team. I just, you know, for the purpose of this exercise, though, I got them third. 
for the record, I think I would rather have Maxi Kleber and Dwight Powell clothes, but Ooh. don't 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 tie me yeah. to that. I'd like to see yeah. who they're playing first. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, and 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 KP has actually been right. really good this year. He has. So, so who's your number three? So my number three is the uh, Sixers. I knew it. Yours? No. I, this is this is going. This dates back to the eighties. Young Matt, Mike just bouncing on his parents' <laughs> knees, uh, learning to hate Doctor J. Um, I I disagree with this one. I disagree with this one. They're my number two. I mean, this is to be honest. Like the margin here is very small. Okay, fair enough. All fair these enough. teams. I'm not hating on the Sixers. I just have no confidence that they're going to make a Ben Simmons trade. And you wrote in your power rankings this week about uh, uh, all of this, about the buyers and the sellers and what teams should do before the trade deadline. And you were pretty emphatic that they got to trade this complete emptiness away. That's that's just something I don't understand. Are people like, can they really upgrade on Ben Simmons? And it makes me want to pull out my hair. And I'm like, they're upgrading on literally nothing. They're getting zero from him. It'd be like, literally for them right now, trading Ben Simmons, it would be the same thing as trading me. Because we both contributed the same to the team this season. I, I don't know how it's a conversation, Mike. It's Embiid is playing at an MVP level. And this is another mm-hmm. thing that bothers me. So you're like, you got to get a second superstar in there. You can't win without a second superstar. You, you know, X, Y, Z. First of all, Chris Middleton's a fantastic player, as is Drew Holiday, right? Those are great guys. We're not taking anything away from them. They're not classic second superstars in the way the Heat Big Three were or what the Nets have done or even, I think, Stephen Clay. But Giannis is just such a mismatch that you can build a great team around him without these traditional ball-dominant second stars, etc., and I feel the same way about Embiid, who I do not think can be guarded one-on-one by any player currently in the NBA. And if that player exists, I don't think they are doing enough offensively that it, it, it doesn't somehow mess up your rotation or what you're trying to run. That is how much of a mismatch Joel Embiid is. And so I don't think you need – you don't. it would be great to have James Harden with him. I'm not saying that that's a – a bad idea. Maybe they know something about what Harden wants to do this summer. I just look at Embiid. You don't know how many healthy seasons that guy's going to have. And I hate to say that. I would love to assume he's going to be healthy for the next six to eight years and, and play at this level forever. But he's playing at an MVP level. I mean, they, their road win streak just ended against the Wizards, but that mid-range jumper, which you wrote about last season, that, that vaulted him into another level, that jumper has looking, been looking great lately. I just don't know how you punt on this season by holding on to Simmons. It bums me out. I just think they're so good, and I think that people lose sight of just how treacherous Embiid is for opposing defense. The Nets are trying to guard him with, like, Western Conference power forwards who were great 10 years ago. They're like, Blake Griffin, <laughs> LaMarcus Aldridge. It's like, what? That's your answer for this guy? I, I I don't know, man. I think that they're making a big mistake by not pushing their chips a little bit in with Simmons, but maybe they know something about Harden, and maybe that makes it worth it. But that's a risky game to play. 
I mean, your point about Middleton and Holiday, like, I'll, I'll, I agree with that from the sense that, like, if those two were on the Sixers, I think that the Sixers would be the title favorite in the NBA. But those two are really good. Like, I know that I get your point totally. I get what you're trying to say. But, like, Chris Middleton is not Tobias Harris. I'll just, like, it's just like, yeah, no, Chris Middleton's really, really good. No, he that's came a good out point. in the playoffs. That's a good point. He had some of the biggest shots that that team had yeah. during that run and carried them for stretches. You know what's a forgotten um, Chris Middleton shot, by the way? What? How about literally game one of the playoffs last year? They're playing the Heat. That game is getting close in the end. It's in Milwaukee. He hits the game winner over Duncan Robinson. That's a sneaky big shot, man. Could you imagine if they lost game one after losing to the Heat uh, in the bubble? I, I think that could have been a devastating loss for them. Uh, and he hits that shot. Ice cold uh, over Duncan. He's no, you're right. That's a great point. Like I said, I didn't want to take anything away from those guys. I mean, Drew Holiday steal against Devin Booker in the finals. Those guys made big plays time and time again. I mean, they also had some stinkers. Don't get me wrong. Drew Holiday was working sure. on one of the all-time GOAT performances, and I don't mean like greatest of all time, game seven against the Nets until he came alive for a couple shots in the fourth quarter. But, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I it just I see how well Embiid is playing, and it's crazy to me to think that they're going to almost punt on this season by holding on to Simmons. So, like, who would you want to see? I know we talked about this a million times, but like, who, like, who? What is the answer here to get Philadelphia? Um, first of all, is Philadelphia your number two? Yeah, or number one? They're my okay. number two. Wow, we have the same number one and yeah. the same number four. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, like, I, who, can who, you like, get? Who, 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 no, no. Can go ahead. you get two of? Can you get two of? Healed Fox, Halliburton, and Barnes. Healed Fox. Okay. Um, and you think that that would put you over the top? Like this season, I honestly like think a, it could. A, I honestly think it could. So they're trade. They're they right now. Again, keep in mind, it would be like adding one of those guys as a free agent because Simmons is giving them literally nothing. Absolutely. I mean, I think Harrison Barnes is plug and play for sure. If there's a way they could somehow con the Kings, who are not known to be the greatest front office. To giving up Fox and Barnes, I think the Sixers could go all the way easily. It would. I think it would be interesting. I think Fox would have to look like he did two years ago, and there's no guarantee there. I mean, I understand people are down on Fox right now, but wouldn't you also be maybe not the most motivated player if you were playing for the Sacramento Kings? Couldn't that environment potentially be having a negative effect on you? I'm not saying the Sixers are this well-oiled machine, but I bet playing with Joel Embiid would help out De'Aaron Fox a lot. Would that help? Would that help Embiid? Do you think? Like, I think it would help Embiid. I think it would help Embiid. Like, no one's guarding De'Aaron Fox in, in the playoffs. Like, I, it's kind of the same conundrum you know, that you he, had. He had with a moment. Simmons. He he had a stretch last year where he was hitting his threes. I, he told me, "I think teams are guarding me defensively." Uh, I feel them coming up on me in the pick and roll. They're not dropping as much. I think he has a chance if his pick and roll partner is Joel Embiid 
to step into those wide open threes and knock them down with confidence. Again, I just it's to me, I'm at the point where the Kings now where it's so hard for me to separate the fact that all these players have been put in a not great situation. Heald thought he was gone before the season. Now he's been stuck there this whole year. I don't know. I think they could do some – those guys are going to do some damage in their next stops. I so, mean, we're seeing it play out with Andrew Wiggins. We thought no one would guard him in the playoffs, etc. He's become one of the best catch-and-shoot threats in the game. I, I know Embiid is not Stephen Dre, but I, I think a change of scenery, being on a contending team, which none of those guys have ever had a chance to be on, would change a lot of their fortunes. Yeah, and then you also have to think about, okay, who on the team right now that gets minutes is no longer getting minutes. So Maxie's played really well. Seth Curry's played really well. Uh, will Danny Green have a role? Will Tobias Harris? Will Tobias Harris? So it's just like a kind of a complicated thing. But honestly, the way I was looking at it is uh, I don't think they're going to trade Simmons before mm-hmm. the deadline. And I think that there's a lot that they have to do to get to the the level and the ceiling that the Nets can be and that the Bucks are and that honestly the Heat can get to. I don't mm-hmm. I just don't see Philadelphia doing that unless they trade Simmons and they get some impact win now players. Yeah. Um okay, let's quickly uh, both of our number ones was were the Denver Nuggets which kind of surprises me also a tiny bit. Um Best player maybe in the world on their team, <laughs> so that's uh, my MVP. My MVP, Nikola Jokic. He's certainly playing like a, a an MVP candidate, deserving of of back to back acknowledgement of his greatness. Uh, I mean, for me, it's just like uh, the. It, this is a bet on Jamal Murray. This is a, right. a bet on you know. I heard that there's a there's a recent report that. Michael Porter Jr. might actually come back this season. We'll see what? about really? that. Yeah, I, I believe I saw, I heard that on the on the broadcast between the on the Jazz. No Nuggets way! Game. I missed that entirely. But uh, I hear you typing to double check me right now. Yeah, I, I, I just I want to see. I, I believe it. you. Yeah, I just want to see it for myself. Wow! Um, could join the Nuggets by April first. I've there you seen. Go. I've seen that some people think Jamal might even come back uh, by around the All-Star break, which would be nuts. Um, Wow. I mean, yeah, we're betting on Jamal. I mean, it cannot be. If this team had Patty Mills, how good would they be? Um, <laughs> they'd be they'd be excellent. I mean, yeah. they've also they, they've had you know PJ Dozier tore his ACL. They've yeah, had they've I, had serious injuries um, up and down the roster. They're above five hundred, which just speaks to Jokic's greatness. And if they stay healthy, like I don't think a lot of people remember, but they didn't have Will Barton. Um, uh, was that last? Yeah, that was last year or two years ago. Yeah, Actually, last no, year I'm, they didn't I'm have Will forgetting. Barton. Last year they didn't have Will Barton. Uh, oh, no, that was two years ago. That was two years ago that they didn't have him in the bubble. Um, but last year, I mean, they didn't have Murray, and they still made it to the second round. Barton played in three playoff games last year. So, yes, yeah, they basically go. didn't have him. Um, uh, yeah, shout out, to, yes. uh, Mike, shout out to Mike Singer, by the way, Denver Post. Uh, shout out to – he does great work. He reported that uh, four days ago that Porter's not been ruled out uh, for the playoffs. Yeah, so – 
this is a bet on those two. This is a bet on what we've seen from this team when they're clicking. We have not seen like Aaron Gordon. I think when all the pieces come back, hopefully they come back. Everybody's healthy. I think, you know, that makes Aaron Gordon's life easier. That makes, you know, Monte Morris has been the starting point guard. Now he's, he's, he's the backup point guard, one of the best backup point guards Mm -hmm. in basketball. So it just, it, 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 it helps everybody kind of slide into the proper slot. And a lot of people thought this team was a championship contender before the season began because even knowing Jamal Murray's uncertain knee status and uh, assuming that he would come back eventually, we're still making that assumption. So Jokic has been better than ever. Uh, The guy is just absolutely unstoppable. And that's why I I lean towards Denver as the team that can actually win the championship. And once they get Murray back, if you have Murray, Gordon, and Jokic – they have enough pieces to slot around those three guys to, I think, have a little bit of flexibility and make some noise in the postseason. I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm such a big believer in Jokic, who, by the way, in addition to Murray, Jokic has just had great performances time and time again in the playoffs. He doesn't have this reputation as a playoff killer. He is. Look at him, Look at what he does in elimination games. Look at what he does in game sevens. He's fantastic. Um once Murray comes back, they're going to settle into place just so much better. And it's going to be such a relief for Jokic. Um, like his assists are down a little bit this season. I think the Denver was it probably still is, if not for a large chunk of the season, the worst three-point shooting team in the league. Uh, probably a reason why some of his assists are down. So, yeah, man. And they're so good, and he's been so good, that I think that they are could certainly – easily make the finals once they get Murray. Even if it's just Murray and not MPJ, um, I think they're in good shape. Agree. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's open the mailbag now. We have a, a message from Abdul who writes, uh, now that Cam Reddish has gotten out of Atlanta, Michael, can you reveal what he was so animated about when you spoke to him before your feature? As a Hawks fan, I had figured it involved something regarding his role or going to a team where he could play with the ball in his hands, but there's no telling what it could have been. So I don't know, you know, after we recorded that episode, I forget when that was, Rohan, but... I don't know why I didn't 
share this story. It's very. It was, it's not a, it was anything. an odd tease from you. Yes, it was. It was after we recorded. I was kind of like, why did I do that? Um, so basically, it felt like I, you were trying really, to big time us. It really felt like an ego play from you. I think that's why you did it. That's not You're very me. selfish. That's yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, so, you know, I, I, I want to say I, I really enjoyed my interview with Cam. Um, he was awesome. And basically, I asked him a question near the end of our interview that was, do you feel extra pressure as the the draft pick that was part of the Trey Young-Luka Doncic trade? And his reaction to that was uh, an emphatic no. And he uh let me know in no uncertain terms that i he was better at basketball than i am and that uh he doesn't understand sometimes why people are like people in the he went on this whole monologue it was it was great he was very respectful and everything but it was just like he went on this monologue about how people in the media don't know everything and he sees a lot of speculation on television about um that trade and and how it was a mistake and it just like really really riled him up mm. and it got got to the point where he started to uh challenge me to one-on-one he was like listen and i was like i was laughing throughout all of this and it was it was all in good fun and he kept saying like you know no disrespect no disrespect but like i'd, I'd kill you right now on the court and i was like dude i <laughs> what are we talking about i know that and my great regret in life ever since then was not standing up and going to the yeah, like, dude, stepping on the court have some respect for what we do here but have some respect for open floor <laughs> you just come on man you just you gave up that quick jeez mike so I, I expected I sh- better sh- from you i should have been like yo i mean cam like um soft-spoken guy again very very mild-mannered but like could you come on the pod and and give this yeah. heat every two times a week, my guy? Yeah. Um, no, I love I love Cam Reddish. It was, a, it was a very fun interview, and it was all in, in good fun. And I, I don't know why I kept that story out, but he was he was uh, not um, understanding why people were so obsessed with with uh, him being the pick in the Luca trade, and um, and me explaining it to him did not help the situation at all but he he's great and i really look forward to him uh thriving in new york that's going to be a really fun situation for him shout out to to cam reddish um okay let's get to two emails about lebron really quick yeah rohan um the first comes from ian who writes if you could go back and remove LeBron from having any influence over the rosters he has been a part of, would it change the amount of rings he has? Obviously, we have the most recent example of the ill-fated Russell Westbrook trade that LeBron presumably had lobbied for. But there are also some transitional Cavs and Heat teams that had questionable moves before his departure. Or maybe you consider his GM work as a positive, And without his sway, he would have ended up with less rings when his career ends uh what are your thoughts on this question rohan first of all i don't think he was doing a lot of that gm work until his second stint in cleveland i think that's really when it started as far as i know i don't think he had a lot of you know i think part of the issue of him leaving the heat was that power struggle he had with pat riley um i don't think you know i think pat riley 
I'm sure he let LeBron in, but I don't think Pat Riley was letting LeBron hold free agency meetings in his cigar room like LeBron was reportedly this offseason. Let me just put it that mm-hmm. way. So yes. you really need to start looking at that second Cleveland run. And frankly, I think the Warriors just so, got so good with Durant that, you know, whether or not LeBron, you know, he, he probably wanted the team blown up that one year. They made the trade. Uh, if you remember, I believe because it was that next game that they blew out Boston once they had uh, all their new pieces on the roster. Um, so that was when they acquired, I think, Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. Uh and all those guys. What's mm-hmm. that? God, I can't. I lose track of all those Cavs here. This is a long-winded maybe of me saying I really only think it's caught up to LeBron now because he was always able to make it work in the past. He was good enough to make it work in the past. The Warriors got so good that there was not some magic move for him to make out there. But it's really been during his Lakers tenure that I think this season is really the year uh, that he's cost himself that first year in L.A., I mean, I don't know what he could have done. They had the young guys. I don't. They. I think they thought they were going to get Paul George. It didn't happen. So, yeah, I think he's really only cost himself this season. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree. I think LeBron might be the smartest player who ever lived, and if he thinks player X does or doesn't make sense on his team, then there's a really good reason why that is that we'll probably never know. Um, but at the same time, like not everything works out the way he wants it to. And I guess for the most part, I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt. Like the, all that stuff for Anthony Davis trade resulted in a title. The uh, Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love uh, resulted in a title eventually could have resulted in more. I do wonder though, if he, how his career would have been different if he, if he had more sway in Miami and either stayed in Miami longer or didn't feel the need to put so much pressure on, on uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers during that second stint where he's just signing these one year deals, one year deals and not really letting anybody get comfortable. Ultimately that makes it a little harder to team build. And so they wanted to, they really wanted to trade that pick that became Colin Sexton. It was that Brooklyn pick they got. In the Kyrie trade, LeBron really wanted them to trade that his last year, but they refused. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's good you know, point. I mean, and the Cavs were right to do so. He was a free agent. He ended up leaving for LA. So that goes to, I mean, the Heat one is interesting because I do think the Heat have some responsibility there. They cut Mike Miller for that last season, they amnestied him. Granted, Mike Miller was on his last legs, but I think the team was not really happy with that. He was a great locker room guy, they did it mostly for tax purposes. Um, everyone just talks about how joyless that last year was. That Heat team was in desperate need of a retool. And I think if LeBron had been committed, I think Pat Riley could have pulled it off. I mean, you saw within a few years um, the Heat were back in the finals. But it is interesting. His career is kind of like perfectly on the edge of he's lived up to the expectations, but also there are these like disappointing moments where you think, oh, it could have been a lot better if he had – somehow been able to pull off X, Y, Z. So not to turn this into like a LeBron career retrospective podcast, but it's, it's, he's always been right on that edge. Exactly. Let's, let's go into this other question. Now this next one from Benjamin, and this is more about LeBron on the court. 
uh, a day or two days after he tweeted an apology to uh, to Lakers Nation, and then the Lakers beat the Jazz. Uh, barely. Uh, okay, so this this email. Oh from come Benjamin. on! That was a good win. That was a good win, Mike. <laughs> okay. Don't take that I one suppose. away from him. Shout out to Stanley Johnson. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, email from Benjamin who writes, Hey, Michael, Chris, and Rohan. I have a question for you all about whether LeBron's statistical explosion this season might actually be masking a major decline in one of his most valuable skill sets, his playmaking. As y'all have talked about many times on the pod, LeBron is take, taking more threes than ever before this season. And looking at his stats on NBA.com, it seems like he's taking more overall shots per game this season than he has since the 07-08 season. On the other hand, he is averaging as few as assists per game since his last season in Miami, even though he is third in the league in minutes per game. Just from watching him this season, he does seem to be struggling to create separation with his defender on his drives to the hoop more than he ever has in the past, and he doesn't seem to have the explosive first step that he previously did. My question for you all is, do you think that part that part of the reason the Lakers offense has struggled this year is due to the fact that LeBron has become more of a spot up shooter and thus can't create as many good scoring opportunities for others. While he has improved as a three point shooter, I don't think any title contender is going to be terrified if LeBron chooses chooses to take threes against them instead of trying to get his teammates involved like Jokic does with the current version of LeBron. Um, who scores 30-plus points per game but doesn't create as much for his teammates as he has in the past, scare opposing teams as much as he used to do. Woo, thank you so much for uh, for that email, Benjamin. I, I read way too much of it, I think. No no disrespect to you or shots to you, but that was uh, I was needing a glass of water as I was reading that one. Great question. Uh, Rohan, what are your thoughts here on the i guess like we're tilting more towards lebron as a scorer here um is that impact is that because of his age and you know uh why is he not the the great assist man that he was two years ago even last season i I mean i have a pretty simple explanation for all of this but i'd love to hear uh what you think about it so first of all benjamin listen there's a great question Please keep emailing into the show, but I, I basically disagree with this entirely, like the premise of every single one of his. Uh, <laughs> okay. So LeBron averaged 7.8 assists a game last year. He's down to 6.5 this year. You know why I think that's true? First of all, Steam's got no shooters, okay? They can't shoot. It's kind of hard to create for people when they can't hit shots. I know someone somewhere is like t- tracking potential assists, and we could look that up, blah, 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 but... Like, when you kick out to Russell Westbrook, you're not going to average as many assists. When Anthony Davis has missed all these games, you're not going to have as many assists. Um, I don't think teams – I think teams are going to be equally terrified of LeBron no matter how he chooses to play in the playoffs. His three-point shooting – granted, the pull-ups aren't great. He, he's also playing all these minutes at center. You see him. He is screening more for teammates, etc. I think that takes away from his assists. As far as the drives – I don't think he necessarily has that explosive first step. I still think he can get to the hoop whenever he wants to. It's more about the fact that he doesn't want to all the time because it's a much more difficult way to play. But to me, the assists have nothing to do with him taking a dip in playmaking or trying to score more. I think he realizes, A, he has to score more because he does. right now there's not a second scorer on this team. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree there. I think that Russell Westbrook specifically is the bigger reason for the shift and maybe how LeBron is approaching his own offense. When just zooming out, when Westbrook is not on the floor and LeBron is, the Lakers have the seventh best offense in the league. And when they're both on the floor, it's 25th. Uh, and you can, you know, tinker with whether or not AD is on the court and whether or not like someone like Dwight Howard is on the, just like whatever that, that stat right there is pretty telling. Uh, LeBron's assist rate with Westbrook is 25.6 this season, which is lower than ever in his career, including his rookie year without Westbrook. It's 39.9 or slightly higher than it was last year. And the third highest mark of his career so I don't – I think this is kind of I, – I agree with a lot of what Rowan said. This is kind of much ado about nothing and speaks to just the the issues that the Lakers have because of Russell Westbrook. And it all comes back to Westbrook, I guess. Like shout out to him for that dunk on Rudy Gobert. Yeah, that was that amazing. was sick. I literally – I first of all, I'm so I'm in Florida and I'm, I'm watching the Lakers jazz game last night. My mom's like – just, you know, doing some stuff around the house and she looks up and she sees Russell Westbrook on the Lakers and she's like, she's like, she's like, does everyone just want to join the Lakers? She's like, what is this? I was like, I was like, mom, you're really just cutting to the heart of what people have been saying about this league forever. But I'm like watching the game and I see the dunk. I literally screamed out loud. I couldn't believe it. That was a sick dunk. But yeah, so I literally was just about to look up the stats while you were speaking. I should have known you would have Mandy LeBron's uh, assist rate with Russ off the floor. But yeah, I, I think he's just... It speaks to how – first of all, Ben, we're not trying to make fun of your question. Like, it, I like where your head is at. It is interesting to think about how teams might play him differently, what this different version of LeBron means, what are the consequences, et cetera. But I think this really just speaks to him adapting to the situation. And, yeah, there's another guy who demands the ball in his hands. Um, this team doesn't have outside shooting most nights. They play weird lineups. He doesn't play always play on the ball, so – it just is. I think it's him adapting to the situation more so than any kind of statistical decline. I, I was going to look up his free throw attempts. That's really probably the one that I think is most um, important when it comes to LeBron. Uh, the free throw attempts are, are they've been in line for they've been the last couple of years. A tick up, you know, he's under six free throws a game, which he's was never uh, in his career until the 2020 season. So that I think is probably the biggest sign of how differently LeBron's played over the years. But, you know, we're, we're also used to that now. That's been a three-year trend. So. Yeah, I think the, the, the big thing with LeBron is that he plays a lot faster with Westbrook. So he gets a lot more of his buckets in transition. And he's more efficient as a scorer, actually despite no differential in in the three-point rate, really, with or without Westbrook. So that's something to also kind of keep an eye on. Um, I think that you should always be afraid of LeBron, whether yes. he's passing, whether he's shooting, whatever. Like, I, there's really, in a playoff series, in a playoff game, you know, he could hit eight threes easily. Like, yeah. there's no, he's a very good three-point shooter, high volume. So that's the, I guess that's the the more direct way to answer the question. Um, and real quick, before we get to our final question, our final email of the episode, the Frank Vogel report that came out today, where he is coaching for his job, just like one On of the game most to game basis. things. Shout out to Bill Orham, Sam Amick with that report. Vogel coaching for his job on a game to game basis. 
really uh, laughable. Really, really great <laughs> way so, to run your franchise. Beyond laughable. beyond laughable. Beyond yeah, laughable. Yeah. Um, so there's really nothing else to say about that except that the Lakers stink. Frank Vogel has not been perfect, but he's far down the list of reasons why the Lakers have not been successful this season. And listen, he won a championship. What? You know what? You, you know what? I bet Frank Vogel would love to put Russell Westbrook on the bench at the end of fourth quarters. You know who's made that impossible? Everyone else around him. Okay. So like the idea that he doesn't know what rotations want to work. No, he's been thrown into the fire with a team full of high paid players, egos to manage. And that's not to say that these guys are, are bad teammates, etc. but there's a personal aspect to this job that is not easy. It is not easy managing these personalities to keep everyone bought in and motivated and focus on the same goal. And I think he's done about as good of a job as anyone could have done this season. Well said. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so our last email is going to double as uh, this week's Rip City Royston Report. It comes from a listener named Annie who writes, Hello, I am a diehard Sixers fan, but I live in Portland and would like to see the local team do well too. It's obvious the Sixers aren't going to go for a CJ McCollum or Ben Simmons centered deal, but I'm wondering why there isn't more chatter around trading CJ for Tobias Harris. They are both overpaid players. You're not losing anything by swapping them. Thoughts? So Shelby, uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you now. What, what do you think about this one? Uh, I'd agree that Tobias Harris is probably overpaid, but, uh, <laughs> I don't see why CJ is at all. Uh, I guess he would help us finish the season with the full team. <laughs> I mean, I don't, he's sort of, I guess he plays defense. He can catch and shoot. I mean, we already have... Robert Covington putting up like nine threes a game. So I guess <laughs> Tobias Harris could only be an improvement over that. Uh, uh, what do you, so, how do you feel these days? Just generally, Shelby, you know, Lillard is going to be sidelined for a while. Some people think the rest of the season. Do you want them to just lean full on into the tank? What do you want? Have you, uh, are you guys familiar with the painter Frida Kahlo? I am not. <laughs> yes, I've seen some of her work. Well, uh, when when she was 18, she was in a very, very bad 
bus accident on a public bus. She had like broke all these bones. She was impaled on something. And for the rest of her life, she had to have like all these surgeries and was left in chronic pain. I had like to have like a spinal fusion. One of her legs was amputated. Jesus. And uh, she, she just like, she drove her to alcoholism just to deal with the pain. And uh, it, it influenced her life and her work. And then uh, on her deathbed in her 40s, she had a very bad case of pneumonia. Oh, my goodness. Her, her last drawing was a small hand drawing of a black skeleton with the words, I joyfully await the exit and I hope never to return. With all that being said, all that being said, Frida Kahlo's suffering is what a, fra- a fraction of what I've experienced <laughs> oh, no. from the Blazers this season. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and I never, th- I never thought it would get this bad. I would just like to say that the the views of the Rip City Royston report do not necessarily reflect those of my own. <laughs> Um, I, I I have nothing else to say, but I think that that is a great uh, exit point. Speaking of exits, uh, I think that that is a wonderful way to end today's episode. Uh, Shelby, thank you for for hopping on. Love the quarter zip, Blazers jacket. Everyone, or I guess the Blazers employees. That I purchased. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that needs to be mentioned. Rohan, thank you so much uh, for everything that you do. Thank you so much to our listeners. Uh, everyone, please keep the emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. And everyone, please uh, continue to stay safe and enjoy the rest of the NBA season. Whoa. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.